Undoing the Common Podcast. This is background noise from Undoing, a podcast where entrepreneurs provide a masterclass on a world both ruthless and rewarding. Entrepreneurs are born collaborators. While they're celebrated for that go-it-alone mentality, it is rarely really alone, and in some cases, the entrepreneur within is only set free when complemented by another kindred spirit. And then, the sky's the limit. Today, we meet such a pair whose shared passion for kids produced Academy Preschool. Ready to play in the sandbox? This is Background Noise. Tony Battistessa and Kristen Katz met while working at a Calgary nonprofit organization dedicated to helping kids and parents. Soon finding that they were like minds, they almost immediately concluded they would eventually be doing something together. That something is Academy Preschool. Far from your average preschool, a preschool essentially programmed by kids. Dina and Tristan's love for kids is only matched by their respect for kids, constantly using their ongoing interaction with their young learners to evolve and shape everything from the curriculum to the classroom. With their formal education in early child learning and development, they remain committed lifelong learners. And while their COVID pandemic pivot will impress you, after you hear their story, it probably won't surprise you. But before we get into that story, a couple of educators of a different age group, Mark Bovan and I talked about lessons learned from the founders of Akitami. Well, it was interesting to have a perspective on people who are focused on the complete opposite end of the education uh, timeline than us. Uh, we obviously focus a lot on what we talk about, seeing transitions from high school into post-secondary, but then obviously what happens in post-secondary and then importantly what happens after trying to get a job find a career find that pursuit that passion so to look on all the way at the other end at two people in dean and tristan that are looking to try to you know develop a system where curiosity is a focus where um, critical thinking even uh, type those types of things are are, are of focus to me, it's, uh, it's an interesting comparison, and it really is a nice bookend to, to what we talk about. So it's education-based, so I'm always into stuff like that. And I think that finding you know, two people that are passionate and, and looking to manifest it in different ways than us, but still with the same belief system, I think that's what really stuck with me. It's interesting you should mention the bookend piece, because uh, there was a point during that interview where I just had to stop and, and say... <laughs> we're doing very similar things or trying to do very similar things, but in lives 20 years henceforth from the lives that you are dealing with now. And probably you and I having a lot more difficulty in doing that, right? For, for reasons yeah. that we've discussed and that Ken Robinson and the likes have discussed that between those ages of three and four where they're full of wonder and curiosity is a beautiful thing and questions are just like a fire hose. Mm -hmm. till the time they enter our hands in college, it's like, it, it, I mean, granted, there's, there's decades between the two worlds, but they're, they're very different people. Mm -hmm. I liked how the two of them were really complementary of one another as well. Um, as co-entrepreneurs, you, you hear Dina tell how she was giddy with excitement over her idea, but she, she had the self-awareness to know that she needed someone to kind of be the filter and the, the bad cop and to kind of look at the, the underside and see what, 
what lurked the unknowns and be the devil's advocate. And Tristan was certainly there for that. They seemed to play off each other really well and must have been a secret to their success or one of the, the tricks to their success to this point. The thing that as soon as you said complimentary, I thought of the spelling with an I and the spelling with an E, right? To compliment each other in the sense that you talked about to sort of be not yin and yang, but to have certain quality. You don't want to have the same person. You can't have the same person. Otherwise, you don't really need them. But complementary with the I thinking about, you know, being each other's advocates, talking about what each person does well. And, uh, you know, I think that that came across as, as well. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting, you know, discussion because we, we've talked to a lot of different groups, uh, different companies, some individuals, some people who were maybe couples or whatever, but this was really the first time you saw a, you know, a, a company that was built on the foundation of, of two people that were different in a lot of ways, but had that sort of firm belief system behind them. So, you know, that was really interesting, but, you know, just looking at their connection on the other end, the other end of the bookend here, the other end of the spectrum here, um, they also work with post-secondary institutions directly, right? And if you look at their Instagram, they profile their teachers. If you look at their website, they talk about students that are coming doing practicums or graduates or whatever. They're doing the thing that we so desperately want to be done out there, which is companies taking students and putting them into the real world. And, you know, we really want to, in our business education side of things, see students do this much earlier than when they're graduated much earlier than just maybe a third or you know third year summer job it should be woven into the fabric of what gets done in schooling so it's really great to see them living that end of it too so if they talk about experiential learning by using rice with their preschool kids they also talk about the management of that process dealing with you know on the other end of the spectrum dealing with students who are you know at the end of their education career so it that bookend concept i think just keeps coming up again and again even within the context of them they feel and i think it's something that you and i have always thought is that if if you can just keep alive keep keep a heartbeat in that curiosity of people never mind kids but of people if you can just blow some life into that curiosity then the world can really be your oyster in so many ways yeah and and curiosity at that young age is easy to nurture and easy to create. But again, it's the challenge of even in a preschool setting, even at home during a pandemic of nurturing that and creating that, um, you know, in, in the senses that we're talking about when there's a pandemic, when you're teaching from home, you know, like being in both of us having taught our kids during this time and the challenges of trying to build in curiosity when it's just about, can we get the stuff done that they need to get done? So, um, it's a it's a lesson for for me. I think it's a lesson for you. I think it's a lesson in, in the creation of any company that you have is is don't let that die. Don't let that desire, that interest, what piqued your interest to even think about developing anything. Where is that and how do you get back to that and always make sure that that's part of what you do? And I think if that if you can do that, it comes across. And I think for um, you know Dina and Tristan, it came across in the actual interview that you had with them. And so to get on with that story, let's let the founders of Akidemy introduce themselves. All right. Well, I'm Dina Otoni Battistessa. It's a beautiful long last name, true to uh, its Italian heritage. Um, I 
uh, am the co-owner of Academy Preschool here in Calgary. Um, my background is in early childhood education, and I've always been very passionate about working with children and child development and brain development. And I met Tristan while we worked together uh, for a large nonprofit here in Calgary, um, working in the childcare field together. And Tristan actually took my first maternity leave. And uh, we, I knew right away we were gonna be friends and I had a sneaky suspicion the minute we met that we were gonna be in business together at some point. So that's sort of how I came to know Tristan. Um, do you wanna introduce yourself? I'm Tristan Katz. Um, I'm a mother to two, obviously the other co-owner of Academy Preschool and now Academy Play. And also I studied early childhood education yeah, just have a passion for working with children. You know, how, how many and how old are your children? So I have three boys. Uh, my oldest is 18. He'll be 19 in November. And I've got a 11-year-old who's turning 12 in a couple months, so a tween. And my youngest is eight. All boys. And, and Tristan, your, the ages of yours? Um, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. All right. So... Aside from the four-year-old, the very focus group, the sample of your initial launch of this company have outgrown your company already. It must have started before that, though. You said that you've known each other for quite a while and the idea started before that. But let's hear the, the backstory as to how Academy began and the, uh, the early stages and how it got to where it is today. There were a couple other ideas that came before Academy. Um, we actually had logos made for other possible businesses. Um, there were a couple scenarios that we ran through. They never, any of them got off the ground. Um, but when Academy came about, I had just returned to work after maternity leave and, um, you had two younger kiddos. My, yes, my, my youngest point. At that point. was, yeah. Um, so she came to me with this idea. She had already written a business plan because she knew that I would want to see the details because that's kind of who I am and had a space in mind and had already taken a tour with the landlord and was like, hey, what about this? And, you know, I had just coming back from mat leave was kind of thinking, you know, I already have a lot going on right now. Like, I don't really think I need to put myself in an unsecured position like the organization that we were working for at the time we we both really loved they were it was a great place to work yeah and and given the field that we're working in we had really moved up and kind of had been at the best place we could be yeah can so we, sorry to interrupt can we can we name that organization because you've referenced it twice and how much it meant to you um sure. are you at liberty to say who that was yeah it was churchill park family care society so they're a non-profit Childcare organization in Calgary. But I thought, you know what, I'll humor Dina. This is kind of what we do. She brings ideas and I'm like, yeah, let's work through it. <laughs> and so, you know, we did that like little dance with this idea for a preschool. I'm too good to resist at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but this one just seemed like such a, it just, everything about it seemed just so fantastic that for me, it seemed like more of a risk not to do it than to say no. What was it? Academy preschool. Um, and so what, what was it? How was it different than conceptually? This doesn't sound different than countless others. What was it about this model, Dina, that you had 
drawn up that attracted Tristan so thoroughly? I feel like I've always had this dream of opening this program that was innovative and creative and that would bring community together. And I'd already been on a path where I was doing that um, in some way or at some capacity when I had my kids. So I'd started up like a meetup group back in the day when meetup was a thing and had 450 members across Calgary for moms um, to get together. And I used to do like us born book things and some uh, get togethers for moms to talk about, you know, just the everyday life of, you know, being a new mom and already had been working in the field of early learning at that point for many years. And when I first moved to Calgary, I remember living, I was living in the area where Academy currently is located. And there was, you know, at the time Calgary was booming and, and all these homes and little strip malls were going up and the strip mall that Academy is actually in, I was sitting there having a coffee at the time. There was a coffee shop there um, with my my fiance at the time, not even my husband yet at that point. And I was 24 years old and he said to me, he's like, Dina, what do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) And I remember turning around and looking at, at this, this mini mall, we're sitting outside and I said, and I pointed to a bay and I said to Ben, I'm like, that there would be the perfect spot for a preschool. And just putting it out there is crazy because that's exactly where we opened up Academy 10 years later. It's still there now. It's still there now like very unique strip mall because it was one of the only ones up on the hill that is built right into the community. So it's right off of 73rd Street and Old Banff Coach Road. So what's nice about that is we're literally surrounded by homes and we back onto this big, beautiful green space with a garden, a community garden. So the children in our program actually have access to the garden and the green space right through our back door. We don't ever have to cross a road. We don't have an attached play space. We don't have to worry about any of that. It's secure and it's, we're really lucky. Fantastic. Okay, continue. So you, you had this vision, literally, symbolically. And have this vision. And, and then throughout you know, raising my kids, my kids, you know, at the time, I was one of the, out of, Tristan hadn't had kids yet. So Dominic would have been about 10 and, and Anthony was maybe four or five. And um, Stefano was just born, maybe a year and a half old. And I had come back from my, my last maternity leave and had said to myself, like, I, I don't know if I could do this working for this nonprofit anymore. There was a lot of questions I had around, you know, just dealing with a board and getting things, you know, we wanted to make change and those things weren't happening. And I kept circling back to this concept in my mind of, oh, I could just open my own program. I thought about even doing a day home in my house and, and, you know, had been doing a lot of research around child development, brain development, a lot of exciting things were kind of coming to be at that time in, in 2012, 13. And I wanted to, I wanted to create a program where we were putting that at the forefront, like the innovation. And I went into the liquor store to buy some wine one day at the at this at said strip mall, <laughs> and uh, had come to know the uh, the owner there quite well. <laughs> and uh, You're telling a lot about yourself here, dude. <laughs> well, he knew what we I did for a living because his wife actually had a day home, so we always would chat about sort of how she was doing and. He was like, you know, Dina, you always said you wanted to open your own program. I clearly talk a lot. And uh, he said, um, you know, the chiropractor right next door here is going to be leaving. Now's your chance. And that was that same day. And my husband was with me and he was like, we're calling right away. Like, you're going to look at this. You're going to write this, this 
program out. You're going to think about it. You're going to, we're going to talk to the landlord and then we're going to see what happens. And I left there feeling so invigorated and so excited and ready to do something new. And I just said to myself, I knew I couldn't do this with alone. Like I needed to bring Tristan on everything that I can offer is, you know, the ideas and, and, and just the personality and everything that comes with it. But I needed someone to reel me in with my ideas and I needed to look at the details. And that's everything that she's amazing at. And I think it's a good balance and that's what makes us amazing partners. And so I, that's what I did. I went home, I sat down literally for 48 hours. I wrote out a business plan, looked at stats, looked at, looked at, you know, what was in the community, what was missing and wrote, put together a program based on innovation and, and quality and sent it to Tristan. And before you knew it, we were in our first year of operation. So Tristan, your turn. You are already in this short conversation. Your, the image that's been presented about you is that you're sort of the hard nose here. <laughs> the, the, no, the bad no. cop, the, the devil's advocate, the naysayer. Well, not the naysayer, but someone who's going to look at all of these dreams with a, with a critical eye. So what, what were your first impressions? What did you see that jumped out and you said yes? And what were the things that jumped out? And you said, wait a minute, this, is, this doesn't jive. Sure. Yeah, I like to say that I, I don't like to be the Debbie Downer, um, but I always, I, I just see the questions and I think that that lets us kind of work through the process of the troubleshooting, right, um, as to what barriers will come up. So when I saw the plan, it was very, it was very convincing. And I think the other piece was that we had already established by working together at Churchill Park that we had, you know, a shared vision for what we wanted a program to look like and we had shared values about what we believe for children and in children and so that was you know the starting point that I thought that we would be on good footing in a partnership together. I think the other piece too is that I knew that Dina had struggled in that specific area in finding good programs for her children so there was clearly a need um, for that in West Springs yeah. which was the other driver um, and I think it was just being able to get excited about creating that vision ourselves about what we believed children deserved. And at that point I had a one-year-old. So I thought, you know, this is an opportunity for me to be able to create something for my own children as well. I'm really intrigued by this missing. If there's any common thread that sews itself through all of my interviews and really my my passion for business and marketing is about unmet needs so specifically what was it that that wasn't being met that you say your children deserved that wasn't out there i think it's like what what i think makes us successful is our three main priorities at academy are a beautiful space mm -hmm. that's aesthetically pleasing um, because we feel children deserve that too. It doesn't need to be primary colors and, and all of that. Um, and works as what we, and in Reggio programs, we call the third teacher. The second piece is the curriculum that we offer. It's driven by the children's interests. And within that, we incorporate all domains of development. And then the third piece is highly trained staff that really focus on building and cultivating relationships with children and their families. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, a lot of programs do one of those, 
uh, or two of those, but I think it's much harder to find a program that does all three. Mm -hmm. And for us, that's really what equals quality. Mm -hmm. Dina, tell me about what's, what you mean by a third teacher. The third teacher. So the third teacher for us is the environment, the classroom. But what are the first two? The children and the educators. I we see. are all, like, so the materials used in the class and the environment, the space is the third teacher. Yeah. It's a, it's a term that comes from uh, the Reggio Emilia philosophy of teaching. I Which read a bit about that before. I'm, maybe you can give us a bit of a background there too, if that's not going to uh, take us too far down a rabbit hole, although I do like my rabbit holes, but a little bit about that. Sure, I'll try and give you just the Cole's notes. So um, this philosophy of teaching was born in Reggio Emilia, Italy, just after the Second World War. The community came together and said, how do we want to educate our children so that we don't um, end up in this place again. Um, so we want to um, educate them in a way that, you know, inspires critical thinking and collaborative work and all of these kinds of things. And they use a lot of arts. Um, they say they call it the, hun the hundred languages of learning. So the children learn through, through poetry, through music, through movement, through um, paint, through so, and, and it's another way for them to express their learning. Was that something that you guys discovered during your studies and during your professional development, that philosophy? Yeah, I think right from the beginning in university, you're sort of introduced to all these different philosophies. And it was one that sort of resonated particularly with me just being, I am Italian, my background is Italian. So I heard a lot about Montessori, but I'd never really heard much about Reggio. And then as we, as, um, like, I guess in the last, like, 10 years, there was, a, there was this movement towards what we call inquiry-based learning or emergent curriculum. Those are sort of the, what we call them today here. But really, those fundamentally stem from this Reggio Emilia approach. And so we were really interested in learning more about that, especially when we were starting our own business. We, we knew we wanted to be emergent because that was innovative. And we knew we wanted to incorporate inquiry-based but we wanted to, where did it all really stem from? And so we really went down right to the roots of it all. And sort of where did it start? And Tristan and I were just really intrigued by the philosophy. So we did a ton more research. We really looked into it. And our first two years were really about like, let's get this right and let's honor this philosophy. We can't really call ourselves a Reggio program because we're not in Reggio Emilia. We're here in Canada. So how can we make, how can we sort of take what we do and what we know and sort of be inspired by it. So we really do just call ourselves a Reggio inspired program. And then our goal after five years was to actually go to Reggio Emilia, Italy, and, you know, attend one of their week long conferences and really experience that because not many people in Canada do here. Um, and so that was, that was something we did do about a year and a half ago. We went to Italy, right? Before. Luckily we got it in before all of this, but so we, we went and we, we got to really experience and immerse ourselves right in there, visit the schools. And it was an unreal experience and it, it made us shift again. We came back and it made us really think about our program and what we, you know, how can we, you know, align more with, with what we, we experienced and what pieces are not really relevant to what we do. So it was, it was an amazing opportunity. I love it. 
so genuine to the brand that you're trying to build with the nod to the ancestry of the philosophy and in fact going out and immersing yourself in it i mean you couldn't be more genuine in your interest in in really delivering this package this value proposition so it's one thing for the two of you to buy in and and husbands and your own children and so on what gave you the confidence that others would recognize this meaning that this missing would apply to them as well. I feel like we've always, we, we know that this is the, the, I will confidently say that we have a service that I know will benefit children. It's, it's collaborative. It's beautiful. We, we've worked in the field for so long. We knew what we had to offer the buy-in, you know, realistically parents don't choose a preschool and we've pulled our parents. We know it's more sometimes out of convenience. Oh, you're down the street. You're there. It looks like a great program. It's clean. You guys are lovely. Looking cute from the outside. But now, now people come from across the city because they know um, that our program is quality, that we do have the best staff, that our philosophy is something that works for children. Let's get back to that working for children because that's your second pillar. I don't know if they're in specific order, but you say a curriculum based on children's interest. Was that developed I can't imagine that this is true, but I'll ask it anyway. Was that developed solely by your observations of your kids or a combination of that and all the research and study that you had done? How did you come up with this secret sauce that you call children interest-based curriculum? I think it's a combination of just everything. I think it was experience. It was um, what we had been exposed to at, at Churchill Park. It was the opportunity to work with alongside the associations in our field and the university here in Calgary, Mount Royal. Um, Tristan actually had gone to school there to do her degree. But in addition to that, we had networked so much being um, at Churchill Park and being director of operations that we were very influenced by all these, this like latest innovation and, and learning that was happening. So taking all of that, our own, our own style of teaching, and then our own children into account, and then bringing all that forward into Academy. Now, it didn't start off the way it looks now, of course, just like any business, it definitely evolved. But those first two years, now we're going into year seven, but those first two years were really about sitting down every day after a class and saying, what did we do? What could we do different? What, like, how can we present this in a way that's inviting for the children that they are interested, they are engaged? How are we meeting all these develop, like developmental milestones? And it took time to really finally fine tune it to the point where, and it still evolves today, today yeah. it still evolves, but to the point where we could confidently say in the last year, like we offer something called the Academy way, this beautiful, um, engaging way of teaching and learning that's that's co-learning and co-imagining with the children and then now we were faced with COVID and whatever's happening now with not being able to open or mandated to be closed and we were like we have to find another way to pivot and be able to still bring the Academy way into people's homes and lives and so that's where Academy play and our sensory bins that we're currently offering sort of was born from definitely wanted to get into that this is probably as good a time as any so that we don't forget that might have been how i discovered you i think i might have seen a picture of one of your bins on instagram and i thought this is really cool is that sort of thing sort of epitomize the children interest academy way where it's 
it's really hands-on it's really just total creative play and yet as i hear myself say those things i'm thinking well that's not new there's got to be something else that you do besides that so elaborate a bit on what what an activity might be like that would be uniquely yours unless that's maybe giving away proprietary information but <laughs> but but maybe do that in a small example that you're willing to share and then and then let's talk about the pivot to the the online world which you've somehow managed to make very real and, and tangible yeah so in most early learning programs you will see like a water table you know every classroom generally has a water table and usually it'll be swarmed by all the children and it's like the big hit of the space and then a lot of programs will kind of have you know behavior issues happening throughout the classroom in other areas children having trouble regulating their emotions and so when we started academy dina and i were back working as teachers our first year of operation we did everything we were the teachers we were the administrators um, we just felt before we hired anyone we wanted to nail down exactly what academy was and what we found being back in the classroom and working with children again was that when we offered some of these sensory materials in new ways so at a table in a bin um and we could offer it like across the classroom in in different ways instead of just here's the water table again for you today we could do it in a beautiful way an inviting way um incorporate materials that would maybe help them with numeracy and literacy or fine motor. fine motor dramatic play it allowed children that normally would maybe be struggling a little bit um emotionally or socially really be able to sit and play and work collaboratively and be able to regulate their emotions um and that's just the power that we see in sensory play so for us, it's a tool that we use in our classroom. It doesn't necessarily encapsulate this inquiry-based approach, but that's how we use it in our classroom. So we'll take what the interest is that's happening and we'll set up a sensory bin around that for the children to play. Every kidney, typically out of 20, when you have 24 children, you'll have two staff. We've got a minimum of four on the floor, typically five with a, with a practicum student. So at every table where these children are engaging in this play, there's an educator sitting with them and asking these open-ended questions and having this back and forth conversation with these children and they're documenting that conversation and they're finding ways to extend that learning the next time we come back to class. So how could we bring that into the home? So mm -hmm. we created these cards that go with, with every type of play um, based on the, the tools and materials in the bin. Um, for example, let's say we have a water play. Um, and then what we've added to that was an open-ended question for parents to be able to start that conversation with their child. So yes, their child is engaged and can play autonomously, but at the same time, there is this opportunity for a parent to sit and have this, what we like to refer to and 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 brain development world as, as serve in return. So that's where you know your child's engaging with you you're making connection their brains are making connections with what they're doing that conversation with their parent and so that is invaluable because a lot of parents don't know where to start sometimes with play with their children and they forget that they forget how to play well did you ever nail it and especially now because it's so easy just to hand them an ipad yeah, yeah. which has become the and default caregiver that sounds like a, a lot 
to a lot of training to do. So you you say your third pillar is staff, and you you've talked about the number of the ratio of kids to staff on the floor, and you guys both being experts in this field, bringing on people to to represent you and your brand and fairly represent the children and and teaching them these subtleties which are enormous i would suggest in really getting what you want done to get done what sort of a an onboarding process do you have with new people well we're really lucky because we have very low to no turnover which makes it a lot easier um, because you're not constantly training people which is unheard of typically in the field of, of early learning. Like it, the, yeah. Yeah, there's generally quite a high turnover rate. Um, and then the other piece is that because we take practicum students from the early childhood program at Mount Royal, they usually come in as students and it's their job to learn. And it's our job to teach them what we do and they can observe and then start participating um, through their practicum. And then usually what happens is they'll do a practicum and then sometimes even come back and do a second. Yeah. And a lot of times those will become our part-time staff and then our full-time staff as needed. They don't ever want to leave. <laughs> and we usually don't want them to leave either. No. So our first experience with bringing on a staff though, and this is a kind of a little bit of a humorous story, but we, you know, it was year one. We knew we had to hire someone into year two. Tristan was pregnant with her second child. So uh, you're starting a business and now Just throw that in the mix. <laughs> one, one of the partners is, and she wasn't stepping back totally. She was just stepping back pretty much part time teaching. Yeah. yeah. And so that meant we knew we had to bring someone on and we were, I mean, we had been through having worked at Churchill Park and having had that experience being in the role of management and director of operations, we had been through the hiring process um, many, many times and we oversaw 120 staff. So we really had been through that and sort of that, you know, looking what we were looking for, the qualities in, in, in a staff in particular. We went through, I think, 40 interviews before we found someone who we were like, okay, Hey, she's good. Like kind of, maybe we'll have a second interview with her. So we were very picky about who we wanted to bring in. What, what's one of the most impactful or transformational things that you've both learned from children in your practice? I think there's this like misconception. And I think I was on that, that train that children are born as a blank slate. Um, we're taught, we were taught that in university and that you know the nurture all of that like really but I think that I've come to over the last few years in particular teaching that children are much more capable and much more competent and do not come with it they have stories and opinions and you know there's so much value in in their perspective I feel like I, I that's really shifted for me I've always know I've always believed that children were uh, you know, incredible. That's why I went into the field and I was so fascinated in it. They had so much, there was so much about what happens in those first five years that was interesting, but it was that, I think in the last couple of years, that's really changed for me. I, I really feel like we need to honor children and their rights more in all aspects of, of, of their life, not just their education, but everything. And so that's for me been sort of my, my shift in thinking in terms of advocacy and everything. How about you, Tristan? I think that they are like the key part of how 
Akidemy is now and even the creation of the sensory bins because everything that we do we sit down after and talk about like how did that go so whether it's after a class or an activity or anything we sit as a team of teachers and we use the children's feedback um what were their questions what did they seem to not respond to how could we make that better and so i think you know it's their feedback that helped us evolve mm -hmm. as as teachers administrators uh entrepreneurs we couldn't have done any of that without them that's a shocker an eye-opening passage for me as a parent and i've got a 10 year old and a 14 year old um, and I, I'm sure I went down the same pathway thinking that they were mine to mold and that I had the superpower over them. Little did I know that it was almost the other way around. And I've only now that they're of this age, look at them as these amazing um, repositories of life data and opinions and observations and questions. I mean, for you guys to be able to bottle that somehow and bring it to life in this environment is, it's no wonder you have the reputation that you do. Thank you. Let's get back to the sensory bins and yeah. how this was the pivot in, in this world of COVID. What, how did that come about and how did it go over and how is it, how is it working out now? We've talked, I think since year one about, we should come out with toys or, you know, we should have, branded materials, materials yeah. like things that and we use, and we use but we've always been so busy with our preschool business that we just never really had time to put all of this together but you know last week we were having a meeting about the bins and dina went back through an old notebook that she had taken notes from one of our meetings from 2015 or something yeah. and we had written out like this is what the bin would be and this is what it would have in it and this would be our vision and so apparently we've been talking about this for a long time yeah <laughs> um but when covid hit i think the first week was just shell shock and i think we were just busy with our own families and our own children and you know homeschooling and all of these things that were now our reality um but monday a week after we were mandated to close we had a meeting and we just thought how are we going to support how are we going to support families um parents are struggling right now they have older kids that they're trying to homeschool um these younger children that we have relationships with you know are kind of being left now like what what have they got how can we bring a kid home for them and so we were just right back to this sensory bin idea well, we thought about doing the whole, everyone else was sort of moving up to this online learning, even other programs, um, you know, and it, that we follow in other cities and that they were like, okay, well, we're going to do these Zoom calls with our children, number three and four and five. And just knowing how children's brains work, that their attention would last five minutes and then that would not go well. So we were like, do we really want to go down that path or how can we bring play home. Yeah, we just, you know, we looked at it, we considered it for a while actually yeah. doing online learning, but then we just thought, how does this fit with our values that we have at Academy? Do we believe children learn virtually? No, we believe children learn concretely. They need to have their hands on things. And also we didn't want to put extra stress on parents. 
to have to force their child to sit on a Zoom call at the age of three years old. So we thought, how can we prepare materials um, that they can use at home and that would either A, allow the child to play independently and give that parent maybe a moment to breathe or provide an opportunity for that parent to connect with their child through this play experience. So we pulled together a bin. It holds four sensory materials and then 14 toys, props, tools, tools that they can use with those materials, as well as items that you can find around the house to help extend or enhance that play. As Dina mentioned, like a question to kind of launch the play. And then it lists the skills, some of the skills that the children would be learning through that play. I'm looking at your Instagram feed now. I thought there was a picture of these bins. We have a new Instagram account called Academy Play. And so here's where it just everything sort of turned into this whole other and morphed into its own business. You know, originally it started out as let's connect with our current families at Academy. This is a way to bring this, you know, into their homes so the children have a connection to us. You know, they're familiar with the materials. The materials that are in our bin are the things that we use at Academy. So we thought this would be great for the children at home. And then a couple of our friends had heard that we were doing that. And they were like, well, I think you guys should just offer this to families. And like, I know a bunch of families with children ages three to five that would love to have access to something like this. Like you guys need to think bigger picture. So we had a couple of friends sort of help us out a little bit with fine tuning some of the, the details of the box and what it could look like. And then a couple of influencers in the city said, you know, we would love a bin and like, our children are that age and we can, we'd like to take a look and see and give you guys some feedback. And, and then before you knew it, we originally had planned for only a hundred bins. And then we were like, well, we'll buy 150 and we'll see how this goes. And in two and a half weeks, all of our bins were sold and we had people, I mean, and all these influencers talking, and this is the, the thing with Instagram is they're all sharing about their bins. And all of a sudden we had people from Quebec, Ontario, BC, reaching out and saying, well, we want a bin. Uh, how do we get access to a bin? And all of a sudden, Tristan and I were like, we have a, no. we have something here. Like what's happening? Yeah. Um, and so now we're in the process of creating a website. We just figured out shipping across Canada. We had uh, an awesome company here, local in Calgary, reach out to us, had heard my call for, you know, some help on, on my Instagram and just said, you know, we don't have a lot of funding. Like this is where we're at, but we need to create this website. This is not something we have time to do. We're, we're Right now we're being moms and teachers and, and starting a business and trying to deal with a business that already exists and what's happening with that. And, um, and so a company here, Soar Creative, she reached out and said, I'd love to give you guys a hand with this. You know, she worked within our budget and, and could, is working with us on what we can do with what we have. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so it's sort of now turned into this amazing opportunity for us. Well, you made it. It's that notebook. Yeah, exactly. It's that notebook that fortunately you didn't throw out or recycle. That's phenomenal. And I think the key takeaway there is, again, going back to honoring kids is it wasn't easy for anybody, but the plan A for everybody was to just, oh, well, we're swapping from face to face to glass. And you guys said, no, we can't because that's not how our users learn. So I think this is ingenious and I'm not surprised. You mentioned influencers though. Who could be more influential than you? You guys are the leaders in this space. <laughs> what kinds of influencers were the ones that, that took up the torch for you? 
we had moms in the community who uh, some are friends of mine who had reached out and had heard about what we were working on and had said, you know, I, I believe in you. Like, I know what you guys do. I've been following you for a long time. You know, if I didn't live in that part, well, actually we were, we, here's another piece of the story. We were about to open a second location in Marta Loop. So, um, I think that we, there was a lot of, uh, parents now who were in the city that were like, okay, we have access to Academy. They're central now we can drive there. And all of a sudden now that's on hold. And so a lot of these parents, some of them who are, a couple of them were influencers had reached out and said, you know, I still want to have access to what you do. So bring it over to me. I'm going to take a look. And, and I've got 30,000 followers. Let me just share, you know, the experience with my child and live on my feed. And as soon as they did, it's amazing the power of, I mean, it's marketing, right? Um, we know what we have to offer. So we knew that it was, it was going to do well, but it's, you know, when it goes into someone else's hands, you don't know what happens after that. Um, and but, this is a world that yeah. we have never really been a part of. Like we've never had a retail product before. Like when we opened Academy Preschool, we had done all of the pieces that went into opening Academy Preschool prior for someone else. So we felt very confident about that, but this is a world that we've never really been in. It speaks so highly of your brand though, as, as entrepreneurs, as educators first, early childhood educators first, and entrepreneurs second, that the people that have um, become loyal members of your family, you know, will, will very willingly bite at whatever you put out as long as it's on brand and it's consistent with your beliefs you worry about competition i feel like there's and i feel like we were at this woman wealth gala and, and that was the last thing we went to together before all this kind of went down that was the last event that we attended and dinner out and uh jillian harris was a speaker there and she said there's enough for everyone to go around like if you have an, an, a product or a service, there's enough people to go around. So I, I think I'm not concerned about competition. I'm, I, you know, if someone wants to rip off our idea, it's not, you know, they can try, but I feel like they're not going to get the same, the cards, the education and everything that comes with it, the experience. And so I, I don't think I worry too much about that. You paint the picture of a very logical, well thought out, empathetic journey towards success and yet there's there's no entrepreneurial path that is exactly a straight line what have what have been some of the struggles or what are some of the things that that you worry about now i think pain points the pain points are generally things that i feel like are out of our control like that's the things i worry about in our preschool environment it's things to do with the city or the provincial government um, you know, obviously what happens with the regulations or licensing, like those things aren't always in our control. We can respond to them. Um, and we've never had an issue with anything that's come down the pipe, but those things are just things that we have to work around. Like for example, being mandated to close. Um, we were forced to close while COVID happened, obviously. And obviously, you know, health and safety of population is the number one concern, but then daycares were allowed to open and preschools weren't. So that was kind of a pain point, like things like that. I feel that are mm -hmm. out of our control mm -hmm. when we have issues though, 
outside of that, I feel like we just work together really well to yeah. solve those problems. Obviously nothing is, is always easy. The challenge is kind of fun. <laughs> I feel like when we're, when we're met with something that's difficult, we kind of, we, we, you've got to be optimistic. You've, you're in, yeah. you're in a business. Like you're, this is putting food on your table. Like there's no room for this is not going to work. You got to figure out how to make it work and work around it. I feel like that's how we are. Like once we decide we're going to do something, like, are we really going to do these bins? And we're like, yeah, yeah, we're both get, like, we're going to do it. We're both in. Then it's just, there's no question. You just have to figure it out. Has it become harder to keep your hand on the pulse as your kids have grown up and out of this demographic? My children are older. So I, I, I did, I think I wait, I go through sort of emotions and I feel like sometimes yes. Um, but I think because I'm still teaching, like I'm still on the floor with the children. I feel like that keeps me in the loop with what's going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, also just like, it's different when you're aging out, <laughs> it sounds like, but like we, you know, we used to go back 15 years ago and I, I didn't, I didn't have, you know, I was, I was a young mom and that's different. Now my kids are older. And so, yeah, it's different because you're not also in touch with what's the latest with moms today, the latest with, you know, um, but I think that's just part of our job is to continue to be in touch with them, do the research, read, keep up you know, keep up with technology and, and the social aspect of it. And I mean, when we opened Facebook was the thing, right? Right. So there's changes to business that way too, like where we're marketing and how would you like people to talk about you when you're not around? What would be the most flattering, you know, heartwarming things to hear about Academy? For me, the key to everything is just that we are doing right by children. And so you know, that's what I would want to hear that, you know, the, we're the, the best preschool, most high quality, most respectful to children. Um, and we're authentic. Yeah. That certainly comes through. And, and my final question is where do you go now that you stumbled upon this monstrous business opportunity that you didn't even know you really were sitting on literally on a, in a notebook and it's been fast tracked to get it off the ground, as you mentioned with website and, it sounds like you're going to need more hands to literally assemble bins and whatnot. And there's two of you. And now there's, there's these two branded entities. One is sort of in the service industry and one is in the, is producing goods essentially. Can they be, can they be managed under one roof by the two of you? Or do you see that the time now where this is just the first stage of multiple expansions that you're ultimately going to have to do? We're going to have to figure that out. But we'll figure it out. It's all figure outable. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Listen, this has been fantastic. I couldn't be more thankful for your time. I know that it's in a short period of time, we were able to nail down a time, but I just got the sense that you guys were everywhere. And now I have a deeper appreciation for the things that you're juggling. So thank you so much for, for helping out and sharing your story. I think it's an amazing story and, and um, about to get even more so. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dina Otoni Battistessa and Tristan Katz, founders of Academy Preschool. You can imagine how they've been missing their community. 
After making the difficult decision to cancel summer programs, they do remain hopeful for a fall reopening and continue to make their ingenious Academy play bins available. Head to academy.ca for all the details and find them at Academy Preschool on Instagram. Stay safe and healthy, and thanks for making us your background noise. It means a lot.